Feet, why don't you stand up, find somebody, tell them good morning.
Good morning, everybody. We are glad to see you this morning. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. There is somebody here this morning in this room that's healthy because they have a live well thing, and these are their keys. They own a Nissan. I'm not going to make you come up here right now, but I own your car right now. And it actually, I just, the live well thing actually looks used. I, you know, it could be because it's bang, been banged against the keys. I had one of these for a long time, and it looked clean. I mean, it really really clean. Anyway, if you if you lost your keys, um, I, I have them. So if there's a Nissan left here about 1230, I'm taking it home. So I will just uh, leave these up here and you don't have to come get them right now. You can come get them later. But don't forget because I do want a new car. So well, I'm glad you're here this morning. We are going to be in First Samuel chapter eight together. A, a, a crazy text and uh, it'll be very enlightening God willing, we'll learn some more about him, and we'll learn about each other some more. I want to encourage you to take your worship guide for a few minutes. Let's look at some things. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're awfully glad that you're here. Uh, Our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus having been with us. If you're watching on the internet, thanks for uh, taking your time out to be with us today. Uh, We, you're important to us, and if there's anything we can pray for you for, take, uh, send us an email. We'd, We'd love to 
encourage you that way. Uh, in your worship guides, there are some things we want to highlight this morning. If you've been coming to Carpenter's Way and you're interested in learning more about us or becoming a member, on March 18th is our new uh, our Carpenter's Way, what is Carpenter's Way class? It's our new members class. It's how you become a member of Carpenter's Way. Uh, we have them quarterly, and our next one is March 18th. It starts at 9.30 on a Sunday morning and ends around 11.45, so it parallels all of our ministries going on here, and you'll meet with all of our elders and our, our pastoral staff, and it gives you a chance to ask questions and get to know us a little bit, why we do what we do. Um, again, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, this is this is great, and we're glad you're here, but, but boy, it's about relationships, not just with God, but with each other, and that takes place in our smaller group Bible studies that take place. We have a couple that take place at 8 in the morning on Sundays. We have about eight of them that take place at 11 o'clock hour, uh, and then we even have some during the week. We have Wednesday night Bible studies and ladies' Bible studies going on at different times and a Tuesday morning men's Bible study. We're actually beginning a new one tonight, Julie and I in our home. And that is for newly married couples. It's called Urge. There is information, or Merge, Urge. <laughs> Y'all are dirty. That's all I'm going to say. Better to marry than to burn. That's this morning's message. Oh, my gosh. I don't think I'm even coming to that study tonight. It's called <laughs> Urge. I can tell you, you want to make the announcements, Julie? Good morning, Carpenter's Way. <laughs> yes, we have a new Bible study starting this evening called Merge for, the, for newly married couples. And it will be, be meeting in our home um, starting at 5 o'clock. And if you're coming tonight, I just want to give you a little heads up. So this is a good thing. We're going to have a light supper. So come a little bit hungry and, and join us if you can. If you can. And if you can't, let this us know. It's going to be a long morning. I just lost my tail. Thanks, Julie. Anyway, it's called Merge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, we went through a lot of names to come to that name. Maybe sometime on a Wednesday night I'll tell you what the other names were. Uh, in your worship guide, or not, somebody just said, in your worship guide, there is an insert. That's our prayer guide. That's uh, for those in our church who are, are looking for prayer and friends and family, so take note of that. Also want to highlight one of our mission organizations that we support. The Pregnancy Help Center is having their baby palooza. There's an insert about that where how you can participate. So uh, take some time to look through that. Also, I want to remind our greeters that we have an, a, a short meeting at 11 o'clock right here. We'll meet right over here for about 10 minutes. So uh, if you are one of our greeters or you're interested in that, um, you can join us up there. That pretty much uh, is all the announcements. Boy, I've said more than I wanted to say this morning. But uh, let's ask the ushers to come forward at this time, uh, and we will prepare to take our offering. Uh, as I share with you every week, our offering goes towards our mission work, Global. Uh, we uh, participate with the Southern Baptist Convention in what is called the Cooperative Program, specifically the International Mission Board. There are about 8,000 missionaries uh, Global that... Uh, uh, evangelize and then plant churches and then turn them over to nationals and we're privileged to participate with them on top of that our church supports about 14 different local and uh, and international mission groups uh, that we're privileged to support that goes for that not only that but it supports the missions that go on at Carpenter's Way and uh, I we failed to mention a couple weeks ago we had our hot hearts ministry our uh, students went to their D now weekend and we had some kids accept Christ there our children's ministry is going next weekend right Alicia uh, next weekend our preteen camp goes 
And, uh, man, we, seen it. We're, we are seeing people saved and discipled, and it's such a privilege. And, and uh, that's all possible because you support it fi- faithfully, financially, and we really appreciate that. And, and uh, if you're visiting, we always tell you not to give. This is for those who attend here regularly. We're just glad you're here and, and uh, don't want you distracted by money. So let's commit the rest of our service to the Lord because it needs it really, 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 really bad. And uh, really bad. <laughs> Father, we love you, and, and uh, we're, we're thankful that you love us. And, um, Father, thank you for our family here and those watching on the Internet. And uh, just that we can gather together uh, your people around your word and learn from you. Uh, It's our prayer this morning, Lord, that you speak to us, uh, that you change us, that we hear from the Holy Spirit. Father, as we take communion later, um, as a way of responding to what you have done on our behalf, I pray that it will be a time of of personal surrender. Um, Lord Jesus, just just meet with us today. Uh, We pray for the worship team as they lead us in music and and as people give back financially as as an act of worship to God. We pray you'd bless their their giving, Father, and... and, uh, Lord, there's a lot of distractions in our lives right now, and I just pray that you would help us for the next hour or so to focus completely on you. Um, Thanks again for this morning. Thanks that we can gather in this uh, comfortable place and uh, learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Fixing grace that saves my soul. 
Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We are resting in the work you have done. There is nothing that you left undone. Open our world to the present. Oh, our God Welcomed here as worthy Because of the cross We cannot walk away Here's where we want to stay Glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame and has asked us to come and rest, oh rest in our Salvation's completed through Him and Him alone. For when He had finished, He sat down on His throne. 
honor, glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame and He's asked us to come and rest. Oh,
singing out and it is a blessing sitting up here hearing it i just love that song um as we work through scripture it is my hope and my prayer that you begin to begin to see just just get your minds around the fact that god is chasing you and he never stops he just never ever stops he even chases those that don't respond he just never ever stops and uh i think i think probably we, we live in a wonderful country that allows us the freedom to worship and every strength has a weakness. I think sometimes we take for granted just how in love with us God is. And as we start this morning, I want to remind you that if you are his child, man, he doesn't just love you, he likes you. He really likes how you are. He made you as you are. And yeah, it comes with weaknesses and struggles and, and all that, but, but he's proud of you. He's proud of the work he's doing in you. And uh, as we go through Scripture, sometimes it's easy to forget that. We just think he's kind of mad because we're not living up to expectations. And certainly we fall short. But I just, I just want you to know that even when you fall short, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Not now. Not after you got saved or after you smartened up or after you stopped sinning. But while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And that is a huge statement. That's a huge statement. He loved you as you were. How much more does he love you now? So I just wanted to begin by telling you that. This, uh, this study through Samuel, I know, has been shocking to some. We, uh, we're so used to being so self-deprecating, especially as Americans, and, and we're so used to being told how messed up we are. It's really shocking to see just how absolutely rebellious the Jews were, uh, just how they continually, after not only hearing uh, from God, but seeing his power in their midst, seeing his power, that they just turn and walk away from it even after benefiting from it. Uh, if this has been as shocking as it, for you as it has been for me over recent weeks as we've gone through this, boy, wait till you hear today. I mean, it is, it's remarkable. In fact, it's, it, I just want to jump right into it. Okay, John, I will. You got it, brother. I'm going to have you sit right here. Are these your keys, John? There's a, a Nissan. <laughs> God. If you're watching by internet, we interact all the time here. As, <laughs> what a weird morning. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss this matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving, uh, they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask but solemnly warned them about the way a king will reign over them. 
wow. Uh, behavior had changed in recent years up to this with the Jews, but not their heart. For the previous 20 or 30 years, however long they repented and got rid of their idols, we looked at that last week a little bit, they're, they're behaving in a way that honors the Ten Commandments and God, but boy, their heart hadn't changed. This is what it looks like to worship God, but not really trust Him with your life. This is what that looks like. This is what it looks like to claim to be one of His people and even worship Him and sing to Him and, and follow Him, sort of, but not really want Him to lead you. If you are a uh, pastor, or a Bible study leader, an elder, a deacon, a parent, a faithful witness who's discipling other, who walks with God with all your heart, and you feel like you're making little headway with your flock, whatever that flock is, and I've tried to convince you in recent years that being a parent is being a shepherd. If it feels like your flock is not following you, understand what God is saying in verse 7 here. They're really not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. And this is really complicated for us as Christians because we live in a culture that's a win-or-lose culture. Everything's a sporting event. Everything's a competition. If our church isn't as big as the biggest church, we're not as good. We need to find out what they're doing and steal their ideas without saying it like that. Or if our kids aren't as good as somebody else's kids or aren't as faithful as somebody else's kids, I'm not doing it right. I need to find out exactly what they're doing because we still believe that if you put the right key in the right keyhole and you turn it the right way, everything turns out perfect, and that simply isn't true. There is a real spiritual war going on for your hearts and the hearts of your children, the hearts of your flock, Bible study leaders. There is a war going on inside of your Bible study classes for the hearts and minds of your flock. Satan doesn't mind if we go to church. Satan doesn't mind if we study the Bible. What he doesn't want is our attention belonging to the Lord. He doesn't want full-out surrender. So he will give us anything, including a, comp a competitive version of Christianity, to get us not to follow God. This is an amazing text because you're actually living it as you go through your life and minister to people and they reject you. Your assumption is that you're not doing it right. And if only I had a better technique, and I'm here to tell you, that Samuel heard from the Lord and God used supernatural means to edify and equip him and show that he was from the Lord. And they still don't listen. They still reject him. And I, I want to remind you as we get into this text today that our task is actually not to make followers of Christ or little Christians, but to simply witness to the truth. And as God opens the hearts and minds of people, we disciple them. It is not our job to save a country or even a community or even our families, it's our job to be a servant of the Most High and allow Him to use us any way He wants. Sometimes it looks good in this life and sometimes it's rough. But if Samuel struggles with the reaction of the people, then we're going to struggle. Because as we've been saying over and over again, nothing has changed except technology in the past several thousand years. And so as we get into this, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, what your task is. And it is not to force people into spiritual submission, but instead, 1 Peter 3, 15 to 17 says that we are to worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 
then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. And I I think there's an important point to this, and it is that despite the last 60 or 70 years, us being in a time where we believe that we need to train you how to evangelize, and that's all fine, and train you in systematic theology so you can defend the truth, that's fine, how we can argue creation and young earth and all those things. The fact is, it is your life and ultimately your marriage that is the ultimate testimony to the truth. It isn't your ability to convince an atheist that God exists that will bring them to a knowledge of Christ. They can argue. People, religious, uh, religious people, moral people, immoral people can argue their point of view till the day ends, but that doesn't convert people. What will transform people is the one thing that they cannot argue, and that is your changed life. How is it you have hope in a hopeless world? I don't know. I, I guess I just didn't see myself as a hopeful person. I just believe in God. That's powerful. It's a powerful statement, and I think one of the most devastating parts of how of the church's uh, move into politicism and morality since Jerry Falwell entered us into the moral majority. I understand that from a human point of view, but from a spiritual point of view, it's devastating to try to get our country to be moral without Jesus. You see, if you get people to act morally without Jesus, ultimately you just allow people to go to hell clean. And, and there is something more important than morality, and that is Jesus Christ. That is a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus. If we get people to act Christian, as is often said in the Bible Belt, but they don't meet Jesus Christ, they still spend eternity apart from God. So the truth is, this thing begins with us. It doesn't begin with this. It begins with this, being transformed. And in this text, you see people who are genuinely not transformed. God was taking care of his business and he's using us and our responsibility is to continually walk forward to do justly, love, mercy, and humbly walk with him. In that walk, things are going to happen in our lives, both wonderful and painful. And even in those times, we keep walking and trusting, looking to God. Your walk with God, my walk with God is paramount in fulfilling our task in this life. More than talking, living matters, living impacts. Why would the world want to follow people that are just as panicky and sick to their stomach and anxious as they are? Why would the world come to God for that? If, if, if this is his product, don't let people's negative response affect your focus, even if it frustrates or scare you. scares you, shepherds. Listen to Paul in 2 Timothy. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to a sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they're going to look for teachers, religious teachers, who simply tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Um, One more thought before we really get back into this text this morning. We are seriously almost done. I don't mean with studying the scriptures. I mean with this task. Um, I am not sure if God's going to come to us before we die or we're going to go to him. And nobody knows. They're just selling books. 
just to be clear. Nobody knows. Uh, if, if you take a book that was written during the 80s and they put a new cover on it, you read the book, they change a few facts, it's the same story. For sure, North Korea is proof. If you look at North Korea, you see the N and you see the K, and then all of a sudden you look at Scripture and you find the Hebrew, and there's an N and a K, and that proves that it's North Korea. People have been doing this forever. I don't know if we're going to go to him or he's going to come to us. I do know that we're almost done. Well, that's depressing. Not really. Not when your hope is in what comes next. And I think that's, that's lacking in our churches. I think Scripture says no eye has seen and no ear has heard what, what awaits those whose hearts belong to the Lord. What is coming is not the TBN studio like we were taught. It's not some, some ivory-laden thing with gold and purple where we all sit around and just sing hymns. That's not how it is. It's home. It's home. You like, you like home improvement shows? They've seen nothing compared to what awaits you. This is work. That's retirement. This, this here, uh, I, I, got, I got to tell you, I, I actually think that this is the life we live for him, and eternity is when he lavishes on us. It's, it's weird. We're going to worship him forever, but it's our home. It's our rest, and we're almost there. Some of you are closer than the rest of us. That was a joke. It wasn't funny, apparently. <laughs> Death jokes never work out. It's going to happen soon. None of us in this room are going to live another 80 years. Some of you are going, I'm only 34. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I've seen how you eat. <laughs> what I do know is this. We can afford to run through this marathon and surrender. You see, to me, personally, and, and being vulnerable, to me, walking with God is not hard for me. Resting in God is very complicated. I look around the world just like you do, and I watch the news, and I see, and I kind of go, what's going on? And God goes, you never understood it before, and, and you're not going to understand it now. Rest in me. Resting in him is very complicated. Is that not what we're reading here? These Jews actually had reason to be concerned. You realize that, right? They had just gone through Eli and his boys. They had just gone through that. Why would they want to go through it again? Finally, they have Samuel. For those of you who haven't been with us, go back and watch the series. I, I hope you're understanding the historical record for us, known as First and Second Samuel, are phenomenal because they're the life of people who are really struggling with trust. They trusted Eli as a good high priest, and his boys were raping their women, stealing their offerings. And they all knew about it, it said. So finally Samuel, this 12 to 13-year-old boy, comes to power, and he serves for 35 or 40 years, and he's a good leader, but he's starting to get old, and they're going, here we go again. So they meet with him, and it's not just a few people. It's the elders of every 12 tribes. So there's a large throng of leaders. We're talking about the leaders of the leaders. These are the big dogs of each of those tribes coming to him going, look, Samuel, we really appreciate your ministry. You are fantastic, and you have served us well. But when you're dead, we don't see anybody else, and boy, your boys. Because they liked God doing their bidding in the areas he was doing their bidding, they just didn't trust him for what came next. And it might have been a mess, but it's God's mess. You know, one of the things that we struggle with is Americans, Texans, Christians, whatever, is we think losing is never good. And I've got news for you. Sometimes being thrown in the lion's den actually has a powerful message after the lions devour you. 
wait a minute, you just mixed the story. You were talking about Daniel, right? No, I was talking about Peter writing to the believers in Nero's Rome that were being fed to lions. And Peter said, don't fear the lion that can eat your flesh. Fear the one who can destroy your soul. If you go to Hebrews 11, you can hear the stories of, of men and women of God. Yes, some are greatly successful, but many, and it even refers to some being sawed in half. You know, they just really go home. I know it's uncomfortable between now and then, but it's really uncomfortable for the people who survive it. God's got this. He's got this amazing plan that even Satan himself can't thwart. And we've got to trust him. Boy, that's hard, though, isn't it? It's hard to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, a great place to start. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. Yeah, all your heart. And lean not, don't, just, I went to the King James, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in everything you do, and he'll show you which path to take. I love the next two verses. We often leave them out. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you'll have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. I, I want to take a moment right now and I want us to pray for this. Let's pray. Father, give us hearts that trust you. We really do believe that we have paths and ways we see things and we, we, we do know what's best for our flesh and we want you to do it that way, but you don't always do it that way. In fact, sometimes it seems like you never do it the easiest way. Lord, trusting you, we, we do believe you for eternal life and, and we want to believe you for this life, but boy, our, our flesh is holding on so tight. So Father, thank you for giving us belief. We pray that you would help us with our unbelief. It's what we need. Brothers and sisters, will you take a moment in your heart and just tell him what area right now. Just say, look, God, I'm struggling. Tell him what you're struggling with, what you have a hard time believing him for. Tell him why you don't believe him. Take, I'm going to be quiet for 15 seconds. And would you just tell him to help you with your unbelief? Lord, I see Samuel in this text freaking out because the people are rejecting your plan and his kids and his ministry and even Samuel struggled with believing you had this and you had to tell him, calm down. We, we struggle with unbelief. We repent of that this morning. We thank you for the grace that has already been given to us on that and we pray that you would help us to trust you in those areas as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this text, Samuel is what it looks like to live and serve faithfully. And he's wondering to himself, what happened? How can we be doing so well right now? And these people, I, I mean, he seems to be blown away. And God says to him, son, it's about me, not you. This was never about you, son. It's about me. They're rejecting me, so keep going. Let them run for me, but warn them of what's to come. And so in verse 10, it tells us that Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, he said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to, the char to his chariots and to his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army, but some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. 
and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and your donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you'll be his slaves. When that day comes, you're going to beg for relief from, uh, from this king that you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. Samuel's message to them is a wonderful example of what it looks like to obey even when you're deeply grieved at the decisions your flock, including your kids, are making. Stay faithful, mom and dad. Stay faithful. Stay faithful, Bible study leaders. Stay faithful. The thing that shocked me the most about this is that we still kind of look at this as a cold relationship between the divine and the human. But I, I want you to listen to the words and and. And, and this, this verse is so regularly misused today. And I want to begin by saying that this was not written to a cheer squad in the Bible Belt or a college graduate at a Christian university. God said this through his prophet Jeremiah to these folks. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and hope. These are the words of Jehovah God, King of the nation of Israel, to these people. He's saying, look, I love you so much. And then he has Samuel warn them that, that the king that they have, they want, the human king, is going is to take their stuff. He's going to take their wealth, taxes. He's going to take their sons, and some will be generals, and some will be warriors. He's going to take their daughters and make them cook for him and make perfumes. Everything you know to be true, those are the way of the world. And that's the point. God is saying, I'm going to be a different kind of king. You will never lose in battle if you let me be your king. If you just trust me, it'll blow the world's mind. And that was the point. The point was that the world was supposed to see a nation that was small and insignificant that is winning all the time. And they're supposed to say, how does this people win? In fact, they wouldn't even ask because if you remember the battle at Jericho, they all knew, Rahab knew exactly who was fighting for them. In the chapters in, in, in 1 Samuel previously, the Philistines had already seen what God had done with the Egyptians and how God was fighting for them. They had already known. But their response to this warning is shocking. Verse 19, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. What? This is an incredible statement. Even so. Yeah, yeah, Samuel, we know all those things are going to happen. They're going to take our wealth. They're going to take our kids. We're going to lose stuff. Even so. We just want to be like everybody else. Wow. That blows my mind. I want to remind you, back in Deuteronomy, what God said when he called these people. When the Lord God brings you into the land, you're about to enter and occupy. So they're still wondering when he writes this. He will clear away the nations ahead of you, the Hittites, Girishites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. 
When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you, uh, and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols. Now, this is the part I want you to hear. This is God talking to them. For you are a holy people. You belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people of the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his precious, special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you're more numerous than other nations. For you are the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. For those of you who haven't spent much time in the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament is just like the God of the New. He loved them. He chose them not because they were beautiful or powerful or they had the best flag. He chose them because he loved them. Brothers and sisters, God loves them and us. And life would be different for them and for us. We're royals. And that should have been enough. But their response to his chasing, to his love, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. We don't like different. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Like Eve in the garden, they actually turned the negative of having a human king over a godly king into a positive. You see, Eve wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. That's exactly what God was trying to protect us from. And we got exactly what we wanted. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. In verse 22, it says, And the Lord replied, Do as they say. Give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. Wow. And so we meet here this morning with the communion table around before us and being invited by God to trust him. To let him lead us. Simply promising that if we seek him first, seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things. Remember what these things were they were worried about? Where they would sleep, where they, what they would eat, light. And all these things will be taken care of. God actually promised that doesn't mean you're going to live in a 40,000 square foot house or have the biggest or baddest car. just means it's going to be taken care of as it needs to be taken care of for you. He promised that. I'm not going to promise you that if you give God $1,000, he's going to give you $10,000. That's a lie, and nobody has the right to promise that to you. Let me be clear. That's a lie. It's scripture out of context. What he does promise is to take care of your needs as you seek him. It's a promise. And all of us here, we're either like Samuel trying to call others to trust God or we're like the Jews trying to marry the flesh and the world with Christianity. It's where we live. And there's not probably a person in this room, I would say maybe one or two people, but there's not many of us, and I'm not one of them, who doesn't try to marry a comfortable, safe life in this culture that I really like and I'm comfortable with, with my Christianity. I don't want the world to think I'm mean. I don't want the world to think I'm an elitist. 
I don't like the decisions of the church in the past that I have to answer for, whether you're black or Indian or Mexican. I don't want to answer for stupid things that are being said from pulpits all over this country if you're gay. Let me be clear. Homosexuality is a sin, but so is overeating, and Jesus came to save sinners. You're welcome into the family. All I know is that I'm either Samuel in this story calling other people to trust him like I do or I'm the, I'm the crowd trying to marry my flesh with God and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In 1 Peter 2, 5-17, through 17, this is a New Testament calling to the people of God, to us. Verse 5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him must recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected and now uh, ha- has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you're not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Again, your life. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. He's talking to believers. There's a war going on for your attention and your affections just like there was back when Samuel's calling the people to trust God as their king. There's a war being waged that we'd like to pretend doesn't exist. When we think of spiritual warfare, we think of blood coming out of the walls or demons flying around. I got news for you. He's better than that. He's going to use your political affiliation or your moral affiliations. He's going to use those things to alienate you from the very ministries we've been called to serve in. He's going to try to get us to obsess over things that we can't control and get frustrated with ourselves and even angry, which is, which is depression. Depression is anger turns inward that we just can't trust and we find ourselves fixating on ourselves because we're discouraged that we aren't the people we know we should be. And there's too many we's in that. You see, even trusting God in anxiety is still an act of worship. There comes a point for those of you who struggle with anxiety or depression that you ask yourself, so God, is this how I'm going to feel the rest of my life? Even so, I will not bow to anyone but you. Well, I don't want to feel this the rest of my life. And a person doesn't want to have cancer the rest of their life. And a person doesn't want to live in fear. And they want more money. How much money do you need? It's never enough. This week, a lot of you lost a lot of money in the stock market. Well, I don't play in the stock market. Oh, yes, you do. Check your 401. Actually, don't check your 401k. The, the truth is, it's, it's anxiety-ridden. There, there's so many things to worry about. And the more you solve in your heart, the more there is to worry about. 
If you stop worrying about North Korea, you're going to start worrying about Washington, D.C. If you stop worrying about Washington, D.C., you're going to start worrying about Austin. If you start worrying about Austin, you're going to start worrying about Lovekin. There's never enough. If you stop worrying about Lovekin, you're going to worry about your church. If you start worrying about your church, you're going to start worrying about your kids. Why? Because our heart thinks that we can control things by worry and anxiety. And I'm here to say that that comes natural to a lot of people. That may be your struggle. Well, let me be clear. You give that to the Lord like the guy who struggles with porn gives that to the Lord. You give it to the Lord. You fast it. Fast it. What do you mean by fasting? Fasting is giving giving up something for the king. We always think of it as food. You don't have to give up food for the Lord. Give up worry to the Lord. Every time you have an anxious moment, start praying and see what Satan does. Start praying. Oh my gosh, I would be praying all the time. (laughs) Fast it. Fast your frustration with the Republican Party. Fast your frustration with the Twitter account. Fast your anger over pastors. Fast your anger over whatever. Fast your your fear for your children's walk with God. Fast it. Give it to God. Take it to the Lord. You know, I would much rather go to a counselor. You can. There's nothing wrong with going to counseling. Big fan. My brother, my nephews are all counselors, and they're very helpful, and there's a time and place for that. But even if you go to counselors, even if you get medication, you still got to learn to give it to God. And that is so scary, you guys. Because God doesn't go, oh, I've been waiting for you to say those words. Here I am. I'm going to fix it now. God often goes, thank you. I'll take it from here. Okay, I gave it to you yesterday. It's 24 hours later. Why am I still struggling with this? Oh, I'm sorry, son. Did you think it would be over? This is a war we're in. This war ends with our death, and then we go home. This is a struggle, and I know it's scary because it's scary for me. It's scary for all of us, but God is so good. God is so good. Do you realize today, if the Jews would have just said, oh gosh, you're right, Samuel, we'll just keep God as our king. Do you realize that all of us could get on a plane, move to Israel, and God could be our king today? If they would have bowed the knee and kept the Mosaic covenant, the world would be completely different today than it is right now. I want to remind you, Christians, who are fans of Israel, as I am, I know the scripture says that those who bless Israel, I will bless, and we need to be careful, but I want to make it clear that Benjamin Netanyahu is in blatant rebellion in the Mosaic Covenant. The government of Israel is not God's government. They have rebelled against God's government. They're in open, blatant rebellion. Do you know what I'm saying? You're staring at me. You understand that. God is the king of that nation, and he is calling them to himself through their self-destruction, just like your flock. So what are we supposed to do? Don't spare your flock God's judgment. When this county went from moist to wet, you're laughing because you know I'm right. There were articles written in papers by pastors saying, oh great, now this this community's really going to get screwed up. And I remember reading, I was relatively new here, and I remember reading going, gosh, if we could have got people in the doors of the church, we should have been giving beer away outside. We should send some of you secretly out with Budweiser shirts just giving beer away. If that's the way you get people to God, then use it. I mean, I I thought this was about spiritual healing, not community healing or, or, or country healing. To be clear, this country has no future in God's kingdom. We do, and anyone we bring with us. 
That's our priority. That's our real citizenship. If you are a vet, thank you for your service. As you vote, thank you for your service. As you run for mayor or governor or president of the country, thank you for your service. Please don't start tweeting, but thank you. That's good. But no matter what you do, whether you are the owner of a restaurant or you are president of the United States, don't forget that you are a chosen child of God. And your first priority is not to be the most powerful man in the world or woman in the world. Your first priority is to be a messenger of the king's message. By our lives first and our rhetoric second. Otherwise, we're trying to work this out in our flesh just like the Jews because I want to defend them. If you're living in the flesh, why would you want Samuel's boys who were rebelling to be your next leader? They were next in line. It made sense, and it freaked them out. I get it. They'd been there. But what they forgot was God was their king, and he has already taken care of Eli and his boys, and he's going to take care of these boys. Well, he took a lot of time last time. He always takes too much time. I mean, he just does, doesn't he? I mean, how many... I I usually give God 24 hours to answer my prayer. I think I'm better than most of you in this room. (laughs) You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. I find myself waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that's when I have my best prayer. I don't enjoy it, but I wake up, and I pray for you guys. The thoughts coming to mind. Robert Grimes in the hospital dealing with things. Some of you guys are dealing with family issues and marital issues. And I wake up this morning. I was up from 3 to 5.30 just praying for people in the church. And you know what? God didn't answer any of those prayers yet. And I'm a little frustrated. I expected everybody to walk in. Robert to walk in healed. There was no cancer in this room, and I expected everybody's marriage to be better. Didn't happen. You know why? Because God's not done working. And he doesn't do things by my time schedule. I prayed for a $2 million offering this morning. Wait, what? Okay, somebody in this room should give $2 million. Somebody in this room. It's God's way. Do you know what would happen if we had a $2 million offering today? We'd take the next month off from church. We need each other. If God gave me everything, I, I was talking, I remember it was Lydia, it was about eight years ago, and I was sharing some frustration of family and friends that were struggling financially, and Lydia said, now I know, Mark, why God doesn't give you a million dollars. Do you remember saying that to me? It was really rude, Lydia. <laughs> and I, I knew where she was going, but I said, why? And she goes, because you would give them, you would solve all of their problems. What if God is so smart that he doesn't solve all of our problems? Because if all of our problems are solved, he knows we'll go to Disneyland. That's what you do when you win the Super Bowl, right? And it's what you do when you don't have any problems. You, you worship on church and you thank him, but what if God is so smart that he knows that the minute he answers every prayer the way we want, we stop turning to him. Then he's not going to give us all of our prayers because he doesn't want us to stop turning to him. He wants us dependent on him. You see, maturity in the Lord is not independence, it's interdependence, you and God right? Is that not your experience? And let's be honest, as far as life goes, that kind of stinks. I mean, seriously, it kind of stinks, right? I mean, wouldn't you rather just have it all together and live the rest of your life left alone in a rich house, nice job, having your neighbors call you blessed? Wouldn't you just love that? It's just not how it works, and you know it. It's how we wish it worked, and the Jews, they didn't know it, though. Verse 11, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls, even desires that aren't necessarily sinful. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. 
that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So you got to get theirs. It's not what he's saying. They will honor God on the day he returns. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of the state. Somebody remind me, this is, this is Peter. Remind me, who is the head of the state? Come on, somebody knows this. Nero. What? For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's the Lord's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you're free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Every one of us here who have accepted Christ to be our Savior from sin and its cost who have been adopted into the family of God are being asked, like Samuel, to be his ambassadors of truth, even to people that won't listen, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. But each of us are also given a choice. We can be like the Jews, demanding to be like the world. What we want is we want to be as much of the world as we can, only we want to be God. And God's going, what? That's not how this works. I mean, we kind of want God plus everything the world has to offer. For weeks we've been talking about this. We're going to continue talking about it, but it really is time for us to respond. It's time for you to respond. And look, I, I want to say this. Um, Chad gets the outline before the message, and I wrote a line at the end, and he dared me to say it. So... I realize it's going to come off offensive, which is shocking, but I don't want it to be offensive. <laughs> you see, one of the problems we have in the Bible Belt, you guys, is that we have, uh, we have declared everything sacred that is moral or conservative. It's, it's just not true. So we can actually walk with God in our flesh because we're pro-life, so we think. We think that because we gave money to a homeless shelter, we are filled with the Spirit. And it's not true. It just makes you a nice person. You see, a person who's filled and under control of the Holy Spirit is somebody who actually trusts God in every area, just gives it up. And I know that's impossible, except it's a battle. You constantly do that. But the problem is that we keep, can keep coming to church and keep going to Bible studies without fully surrendering and pretend in our lives and feel good about it because we like the song Amazing Grace or we like the choruses or we like the preacher. <laughs> really like the preacher. We feel good about it while really being deceived because we're not walking with God. Do you know what I'm talking about? We do all the things that Christians do because it makes us feel Christian, but in reality, we are just like the Jews who were doing all the things the Jews do. They were still celebrating the Passover and circumcising their children, and they still had a high priest, and they were still offering those sacrifices. I mean, they were doing everything Jews were supposed to do. There was just one problem. Their hearts weren't in it. And there does come a point when we have to decide if we're just going to play church or be real, so we're going to do that this morning. You see, communion doesn't save you. It's a response to God having saved you. Uh, when we take the bread, and I'm going to ask the elders to come forward to prepare for our time of communion. When we take the bread, th this bread, it's just matzah. We bought it online. We keep it frozen so it lasts longer, and then we serve it to you. It doesn't have much taste. 
Some suggest that we give dipping sauces with it, but that's not the point here. <laughs> the point here is that it reminds you that Jesus Christ just didn't float down from heaven and die on the cross. Don't lose our theme here because this is super important this morning as the guys come up. But, but the, point, the point of this is, is that we take this, we remember that Jesus Christ didn't just, he didn't just you know, float down, die on the cross for your sins so you could go to heaven and float back up. He actually hung out with us. For 33 years, he hung out with us. And it tells us that he was tempted in every way. Every way, he was tempted. So he gets it. So we can cry to him and go, man, I don't trust you. And he goes, let me tell you the truth. I didn't totally trust my dad. Some of you just freaked out because you just said, did God not trust God? Let me be clear. His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is pretty clear. Take this cup from me, dad, but not my will, yours be done. I am not saying that you shouldn't pray for healing or a better job or more money or a bigger house. Go ahead and pray that. But you've got to end it with not my will, yours. Only give me this if this is what is in your plan. So we take this bread and it reminds us that Jesus himself submitted to the Father's will that he didn't always agree with. I'm not going to explain the Trinity to you this morning because I don't understand the Trinity. I just know that that's all over the gospel. Like five times he tells the rest of the disciples, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. What? Yep, Jesus must have had a different will than the Father. Kind of crazy, huh? I don't understand that any more than I understand what God's doing in our country. But God keeps reminding me that it's none of my business. He's the king, not me. And my dad didn't tell me everything that I thought he should tell me. And I'm glad he didn't. I didn't tell my kids everything that they wanted to know. It's none of their business. I'm the dad. And they either trust me or they don't, right? And that is what we're asking this morning. I mean, I'm asking you and I'm challenging you as your pastor or as your friend. And even at home, you can go get a piece of bread in the kitchen and a grape juice or apple juice. It's not the, it's not the elements that matter. What matters is what's going on in our hearts. But what God is asking of us this morning is to actually give everything to him like he gave everything to his father. That's the point. And I challenge you this morning to do just that. I challenge you to give everything to him. If you don't, here we go, Chad. Where are you, Chad? I'm going to try. Don't pretend that you are and take. Just don't take. Stop claiming to be a man or woman of God. Well, I don't claim it anyway, Pastor. Good, because you're not. You may be his child, but you're still an infant crying in, the, in, in, in a small manger. You're, you're crying. Time to grow up. Time to grow up. Don't laugh at the Jews when you're living like them. I mean, seriously. Okay, God, we want you to win our victories, our battles for us, but we like to look like the rest of the world. Is that not the cry of the church? We're just like them, only we got Jesus. And I want to make it clear, not perfect, just forgiven is bullcrap. You're adopted. That was the process by which God's will was done. You are royal. You're royal. You are not... You are not just a sinner saved by grace. You are the child of the living God who sent his son to buy your adoption. We should live like it. Well, I don't know what's mine. Start reading the scriptures. Own it. Own the kingdom. You're an alien and stranger and foreigner. Act like a foreigner. They're going to think I'm weird. Yes, they are. I'll be with you right in there. They think I'm weird. Heck, half the Baptists think I'm a freak. That's okay. Everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? Lord Jesus, as we take communion this morning, help us to hear from your Holy Spirit 
Every one of us in this room struggles. We are more like the Jews than we are like Samuel. We know in our heads that we need to be more like Samuel. We want to be more like Jesus. We know we need to be that. So this morning, even for the next few minutes, help us to be drawn to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we pass out the bread this morning, go ahead. I want to encourage you, don't not take, please. Would you just surrender your life to the Lord the best of your ability at this second? Just give, your, give yourselves to God. I'm begging you, please, 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 please. Let's do it together. Let's walk with him together. Let's see what that's like. Wouldn't it be amazing? D.L. Moody said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man who completely surrenders himself to the Lord. Imagine what God can do in East Texas through a church that's completely surrendered to the Lord. Please join me. Come on, let's do it together. It's going to be scary as heck. But we'll be scared together and rejoice together and celebrate together and we'll remind each other and we'll be in the scriptures and we'll go home together. That's why God invented the church, so we could do this together. There are some of you here that have sin that you just sure, sure, sure that all you're going to do is get into heaven because you've blown it too bad. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and thank him for his mercy. Please. Adultery, homosexuality, none of that is a big deal to God. I know some of you just freak. So you're telling me that gay marriage isn't a big deal to God. That's, I, it's not any bigger deal than your gluttony problem. That's what I'm telling you. Because it's all sin. <laughs> it separates. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile. Be reconciled. Accept his offer. And I'm talking to Christians. You know, there's a lot of you who've been listening to preachers like me tell you what a loser you are for too many years, and not enough of us are telling him that God still loves you and even likes you and he's proud of you this morning. Not because of what you've done, but because of what his spirit is doing in you. This morning, right now. So don't be so proud. Thank him for his mercy. He did this for you. He's worthy of you giving it back to him. Don't let your sin keep you from being close to God. your dad family he still loves you he knows what you did last night and he's still there <laughs> he loves you he knows what it's like to be afraid he knows what it's like to look death in the face without hospice There is nothing you're feeling right now that Jesus didn't already feel. 
And that's really important because right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He knows exactly how to talk to the dad about you. Dad, this is what that feels like. This is why. I get it. And he and the Father talk, and then they tell the Holy Spirit who lives within you how to deal with that in your heart. This is personal. It's intimate. Father, thank you for the truth of your broken body for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's do in remembrance of him. Next is the cup. Christians, you go ahead and talk to God. I'm going to talk to those of you who aren't clear on all this stuff for a few minutes. It tells us that as often as we do this, we're not just encouraging each other or reminding each other of what Jesus did, that we're also proclaiming Christ's death until he returns. So for those of you who are on a journey, a spiritual journey, or not, let me explain what this is about. The problem with people is not what they do, it's what they are. They do what they do because of what they are. In other words, you don't become a sinner because you overeat or you rebel against God. You're born a sinner and you, you act out in sin because that's your nature. Jesus Christ came to pay the price in his blood for that sin nature. In other words, there's a punishment involved. Somebody had to be punished because of your nature. So he sent Jesus to take your punishment in his body on the tree. Jesus Christ got what you deserve. That's why we celebrate Easter. Because it's, it's not like God just goes, okay, I'll give you a mulligan. We're not, you, you won't have to pay for your sin. Somebody's got to pay for your sin. Jesus paid for your sin. That's why he was beaten. That's why he hung up there. That's why he died. It's called propitiation. It's a theological term. It means he took your payment what you deserve. That's why it's gone. For the child of God who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and he believes in heart God raised him from the dead, it's gone. My sin isn't just covered or atoned for, it's actually removed. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus' blood and Mark is seen as pure and holy right now. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You're still offering it. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift in the blood of Christ the free gift of God is eternal life, and that's, that's available to you. It's not, it's not available to you if you become a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or Lutheran or Episcopalian. It's available to you as a fallen, sinful person as you run to God. Church is, church is what happens after. We get together to remind each other of the good God has done, and, and you heard this morning, we spur each other on to surrender. But, but I want to make it clear to you this morning. You don't have to be part of our church to be saved. You don't have to be part of any church to be saved. You just have to know you're a sinner, and he's the only one that can solve your sin problem. And Scripture tells us that it is through the shedding of blood there's forgiveness of sin. This is grape juice. Um, it would be disgusting to use real blood, and we're not instructed to. We, this is grape juice. It's a, it kind of looks like blood. That's all. That's all. Just to remind us that none of us here got here on our own. We got here through Jesus. Because, as you know, my unbelieving friend, Christians have a tendency to forget that they're not the ones who saved themselves. We have a tendency to get self-righteous because we think we're righteous in ourselves at times. Well, I'm here to tell you that we're wrong in that. And we invite you to join us, not as a church, but as the family of God. Join us. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All, all of it. 
white or black, rich or poor, gay or straight, all unrighteousness is forgiven. It's free. I can't figure out for the life of me why anybody would want to go to hell. You, were, you realize the world is not working, right? The world isn't working. Even the, even the world hates the world. Why would you want to live like them? You don't have to. You can live like Jesus. It's hard. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Join us. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Talk to God. He's listening. You tell him you know you're a sinner, and he's the only one that can save you. Jesus said, all who call on me, I will hear. God for grace, huh? I mean, seriously, thank God for grace. Better Jesus than me. Better Jesus than you. Soon, we're going home. We're going home. Until then, let's stay faithful. Let's trust him. Even if we get an ulcer, let's trust him. We do this to remember what he did so we could be here today. Thank you, Father, for grace. We love you. We just don't realize how awesome this grace is, so give us a glimpse. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. I am going to have the elders go to the doors. We take, uh, when we do communion, we take what we call our benevolence offering. That's for those inside of our church family with special needs, financial needs. If you have a few dollars you'd like to participate, great. If not, that's okay too. Bible study is going to start in about five or ten minutes. Um, if you're part of the greeter ministry, we'll talk up here. There is a new Bible study tonight at five at my house. It's called Verge. And I have keys up here. Somebody's got a beautiful Nissan I'm taking home today. <laughs>